0: On this edition of Music Day, a verified hit, we'll discover why it's a new day, a new dawn, and I'm feeling free. New ways to be in the music industry with Phil Thornton, Robert Bell, and IDK. We're gonna tell
1: you stuff people won't tell you. Real talk with experience.
2: We talking business up in here. Get the people what
1: they want that 's what i 'm talking about Welcome to Music day, a verified hit i 'm your host Monique Kelly, and today we have exceptional men on this panel. I am super duper excited. The first person we have is Mr. Phil Thornton, senior vice president and general manager at RCA Inspiration. His credit spam music overseeing some of major gospel artists on the label, including Kirk Franklin, Marvin Sapp, Donnie McClurkin, Travis Green, The Greenleaf soundtrack on own, Layla Hathaway's live album when he was heading E1, and executive producing TV shows such as Lisa Ray and The Real McCoy, I Married a Baller, R&B Divas of Atlanta, and It's a Man's World. Before he turned 40, which I'm sure was just yesterday, he was inducted into the Stellar Awards Hall of Fame and received the Living Legends Foundation Gospel Music Executive Award. Welcome, Phil. Thank you. Thank you, Monique. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. And next, okay, this is, I'm so excited. Next, we have Robert Cool Bell, the iconic songwriter and band leader of Cool and the Gang seven-time Grammy Award winner, 80 million, 80 million albums worldwide, 31 gold and platinum albums, 25 top R&B hits, nine top 10 pop hits, and the most sampled band of all time. And did we mention that this year is the 40th anniversary of Celebration, which we all know we'll all be listening to once COVID is over and jam into it? on a whole new level, okay? He's also a Living Legends Foundation Lifetime Achievement Award recipient. And now, this is the best part for me, he's in the champagne business with Cool Champagne. Welcome, Cool Bell.
3: Hey, I'm happy to be here. It's like Thank the good you. old days, huh? The music days, music day?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, yep. This is the day. So just, you know, some of today's topics are going to be making music and performing in the age of COVID-19. That's major right now. What are people listening to nationally? And are musicians trying to create music that pushes the culture forward? And lastly, can music and entertainment impact systemic racism? So let's just dive right in because right now, as we all know, we're in the midst of a pandemic the worldwide protest against racism and the fight for justice, and of course, uh, Donald Trump. And if we're battling so many other attacks in our lives, do you guys feel like we should be doing battle in our music too?
3: What's the question?
1: Do you feel like with everything going on globally, with the pandemic, with protests about racism, the fight for justice, Donald Trump, we're battling so many things and attacks in our lives. Do you feel like the music should start reflecting that battle that's going on globally as well?
3: Well, I think um, music plays a, a important part to what's going on. Uh, I noticed that uh, some of the interviews that I'm doing, uh, we're going back and talking about some of the songs that Cooling Again was written. Like uh, love and understanding, uh, uh, higher planes. Uh, love and understanding was dealing with you know people. It's time to come together. You know, we need a little bit more love and understanding. And then of course, who's going to take the weight? You know, uh, we said back in the day uh, with the song "Who's Going to Take the Weight." The world was in a in a desperate situation, and uh, someone's going to be uh, take the weight to be responsible for that. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be what's going on today. Higher planes though, with we've been down too long. You know, we have to keep lifting on up to higher planes of what? Of love, understanding, communication, you know, and that seems to be what's going on. Black Lives Matter, all the problems that's going on today, as you said, racism. Um, I think music plays a very important part. Mm-hmm. And, uh, music is our message. That's, I'm not a politician. I'm a musician. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do, trying to get our message out there.
1: Absolutely. How, how about for you, Phil, coming from your end, on the executive end, especially for inspirational music, what is your take on that?
2: I think it's definitely um, during these times of you know, social injustice and social inequality, we need music that reflect the times. I mean, when you think back to the, to the sixties, you know, especially the black church was right there on the front line, you know, with Dr. King, you have Mahalia Jackson, you know, uh, take my hand precious Lord. That was a, that was a song during that time. So to me um, artists like Kirk, on the roster he released a song uh, a few months ago called strong god uh, which speaks to what's going on in our world uh, but there's others you know corinne hawthorne put out a song a few weeks ago called pray and touches on some of the some of the challenges happening in our world so my, my job as an executive. Uh, because I'm a, a creative at the core, a creator. And, and my thing is, I just love to, for artists to reflect what's happening in the times. And our thing is, how do we push this message out to the, to the world? Because people need some positive music right now. With you know, I've I'm, I'm been working from home, what, 23 weeks now? So it's, uh, you know I need something to get me through those times, and I'm not alone. So I think music is definitely one of those things. And um, it's art, but, and it should be celebrated and appreciated, but it also can help. It's a universal language that unites us all.
1: Absolutely. And with cool, Cool, I feel like your music has always been positive and been a source of positivity for decades. For you, was that an intentional thing? And how do you feel artists now in terms of positivity in music? Where do you see the difference?
3: Well, um, it was, was, well, somewhat intentional in terms of uh, when we came out, now our music has grown over the years. Um, because, I guess, of our background when we started back in the 60s, 64 at the Jazzy Acts and then the Soul Town Band and then in the Flames, of course we had to change that because James Brown had uh, James Brown in the famous flame, <laughs> and we didn't want to have any problem with the Godfather so we changed it to Cooling the Game. So um, that early music that we were, were, were recording, you know, because they had... The jazz side of it, the funk side of it, you know, uh, the spiritual side of it, when you listen to people like John Coltrane, uh, you know, Freddie Hubbard, Miles Davis, and the music of this uh, was message music to some degree. So we kind of, our music evolved with that, uh, with those type of um, surroundings and people, uh, I would say influences. Mm-hmm. To write some of the songs that we did, like uh, like I said, "Breeze and Soul," and of course, you know, um, "Summer of Madness," uh, "Who's Gonna Take the Weight," um, uh, "Open Sesame," and uh, we continued to try to grow. Cause you know, it it the challenge I think that we had like every ten years, it was a challenge. You know, the, the '60s going to the '70s, and uh, People start to say, well, uh, what are you guys going to do now we're going into the 80s? At that time, they were burning records in Chicago and disco sucks and dance music sucks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we had to make some changes. And
1: I, and I feel like nowadays with being stuck at home and quarantined, people have a nostalgia for that music that just makes you feel feel good and I think that's why your band has been sampled so many times because it's music that just makes you feel good and right now you know we're seeing such a strong reaction to the black lives matter movement and do you feel I think I know the answer to this but from your perspective how do you think music can rebuild the community
3: well um you said uh, black lives matter movement and the movement that's going on out there, I think, I think it it does help uh, for songs that uh, that are strong, songs that are strong for the families, songs that um, you know, well, uh, you've been locked up. Uh, I wouldn't say locked up. We've been here for like seven months, and uh, you you can't get around. So you gotta you know, you gotta be able to have a little love in the house. You know, less arguments with uh, the mother and the father and the children. You know more understanding. I know that uh, uh, because of social media, I've been here just uh, doing all these different interviews and getting different uh, feelings and feedback from uh, various people that I probably, you know, would not have uh, spoken to, you know, I did an interview. I don't know who it was, I forget, but um, he came on and he said, listen, anybody that uh, was in the Cooling the Gang in the eighties, he said, well, don't listen to this interview, he said, because I'm dealing with cool and the Gang of the 70s. So I said, okay. And then he went back and started playing Funky Granny and Let the Music Take Your Mind and um, songs that I hadn't heard in a long time. You know, I remember John Coltrane. And he went on and on playing all the music of the of the, of the 70s. So we had a strong following in the 70s. I'm not taking anything away from the 80s because we had big records, Joanna, Fresh, you know, uh, uh, Cherish, uh, of course, Celebration. You know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, that was what we were doing back then in, in the 70s.
1: And, and Phil, is there, do you feel like there's any risk for labels to support socially conscious music now?
2: Well, I can't speak for for every label, but I can say, you know, as a Sony Music executive, we're encouraged to just carry out the artist's vision. You know, what I mean, that's super important—a uh, company-wide initiative, and 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 beyond just to carrying out the music. You know, there, we're, you know, we have the the hundred million dollar fund committed to social injustice and equality, and how we can pour some of those resources back into our community, to the artists, to the up and coming. So. It's no, no type of censorship from my experience um, and not that I'm aware of from our peers, but if anything, they're encouraging the artists to have a voice during this time, which is actually exciting.
1: And, you know, speaking of exciting times, you know, we, just, we have a now have an African-American female vice presidential candidate. I mean, you feel the energy in the air. How do you feel that that major, just wonderful movement is going to reflect music now? How do you think it's going to change music? Or is the music going to evolve in a different way with this new phenomenon of having a Black female vice presidential candidate?
3: Well, I I do believe it uh, should help Change music.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, we wrote a song called "Ladies' Night."
1: Yes, <laughs> that <laughs> is
3: right. <laughs> so if it was Ladies' Night, and the pillars was right. we would making another move. We're gonna take it to the next step. You know. Right. So I mean, feel very good about that. We're working on a project now uh, called uh, um, the song is called uh, "Pursuit of Happiness, World Peace," and I, we'll probably will be putting it out there in the next couple of weeks and deals with a lot of things that's going on today. You know, um, Donald Trump said, let's make America cool again, (laughs) but let's make the world cool again. What about the world? Mm -hmm. What happened back in the days of Adam and Eve when the world should have been cool back then? We have so many problems, so many issues, let's get on that highway of making the world cool again. Right. So the song is called World Peace and it'll be out soon.
1: I can't wait. Cause I know it's going to be another hit as usual. And let me ask you this, how did you make the transition from, you know, the disco era to, you know, transitioning to, um, you know, the now like switching from those different eras?
3: Well, from the, um, from the disco era, um, that time period when we decided to get a lead singer and they were um, dealing with uh, um, dance music and uh, saying that you know uh, there's the problems with dance music at the time and so we had to, we had to move on so we felt that getting a lead singer uh, would take us to another level that is not just music because our music wasn't always just dance music you know if you look at some of the matters and Wild and Peaceful, and some of the songs that we had, even with the song, uh, Open Sesame, we um, we had, I mean, we put a dance beat on it, but the song itself was jazz. If you listen to that, da, 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 that was swing. But we had to put it on the floor for so people can dance up. So we had to adjust and make the changes uh, through the through 80s. And
1: speaking of adjustment, for you as a performer and Phil, for you as an executive, how are you adjusting to not being able to tour and be live with audiences? How are you as a, mu- as a musician and Phil, you as an executive making that transition so you can still do what you love?
3: Well, I mean, not to be able to tour, I mean, it's, <laughs> this is our seventh month, I know. The last show we did was uh, back uh, in March. We had just got off a cruise ship. It was a, a show that was popping R&B. So I mean, you know, I've been here. I call it uh lockdown in old town. I'm in Orlando, and I have not been able to move for seven months. I can't even go back up to Jersey without having to be quarantined. So, but what it does, what it does is that it opens your, you know, your mind, your thoughts as to how uh, to move forward. Because really, I, I don't really know the answer I mean we're not going you know what's going to happen and they're talking about 2021 right you know everything's been pushed to 2021 but it's all about it's all about about the virus and no one really has an answer well this is going to happen that's going to happen you know but you know I could say won't you just have a glass of the cool champagne <laughs> that'll make everything all better cool <laughs> <laughs> But, I, I, you know, I'll just say, but you know, I'm, I'm involved in a couple other things. I'm working with, um, uh, uh, what's the gentleman, Tony again? Dusty Baker, Dusty Baker in terms of uh, solar energy. Uh, he's now the uh, coach of the Houston Astros. We're doing solar energy for Africa, the project that we've been working on. And we're, we're looking to push that out uh, throughout Africa. So I'm doing other things, that that's helping me as well. Yeah. That's good.
1: How about for you, Phil, being an executive in the industry, what are you you seeing artists that you deal with? How are they handling not being able to tour right now?
2: It's, you know, it's been a tough transition and just trying to make sure that our artists are able to survive. So we've had to get creative and work with our partners at the agency. Uh, A few of our artists are doing drive-in tours right now. Those are you know, starting to really oh. like market. So you know, it's, it's a different experience, but we've had a couple artists that are, have started doing a few quote unquote spot dates that way, but um, we're looking to do a full-fledged tour this fall with one of our acts, uh, a drive-in tour. Um, there's also a few platforms that we're in discussions with that, um, to expand the virtual experience. We've had two of our artists, uh, one being Kiera Sheard most recently who did a, a virtual tour and she did it by the region. And so we charged tickets, we did a ticket bundle with, you know, with merch and with music. So it was, uh, it was quite a learning curve. It was a profitable venture, but it's still nothing like being in the building, but we're making the best of it and just trying to find ways for our artists to not only make money, but for us, you know, for us to promote the music as well. So driving tours and virtual tours have been a way. And then we're talking with other companies like Patreon to kind of create another revenue stream for a lot of artists for like miscellaneous exclusive content so again just you know creating those additional revenue streams for our artists and our partners so it's, it's been quite a challenge though but we're um, trying to navigate through this new normal
1: yeah you got to get creative with it because who would have ever thought it would be we'd be in this let alone for seven months you know it's yeah. just Mind-boggling, and have you discovered new platforms like Twitter dance parties or uh, more movies with music, things like that as well during this time? Yeah,
2: we've been trying everything virtual. We can. <laughs> we've done every Twitter, uh, Facebook gathering. Uh, you can imagine, I mean, even Zoom. So we've been even, uh, for example, with Kiara with her virtual tour. Where we typically would have artists, you know, do a meet and greet backstage with fans. We did a virtual Zoom meet and greet where fans were able to kind of interact. So we've been really experimenting with some of the existing platforms, open to new ones like Patreon, like I mentioned, just trying to figure it out, but figure out how to make money for everyone involved. So keep the experiential side present, but really how to generate some revenue because it's, you know, artists have families. Our partners are artists, our writers, our producers, they've got families to take care of and just, so we're, we're very mindful of that. And, but that's why we're super open on like, how do we just continue to release music? Cause that's another way um, to generate music and even with some of the virtual shows, uh, be it BET, I just did something with them you know, a few months ago and the Stellar Awards, which is airing in uh, August on BET as well. Just, you know, what are the award shows looking like? Because that used to be another way for us to expose and promote. So it's it's a learning curve for everyone involved. Don't let anybody at the record label tell you they've got to figure it out. Because if they do, call me. But yeah, it's, it's, it's we're all learning together, really straight up. So.
1: And I'm just curious, what has been the biggest challenge? like? Out of all the Zooms, the the, the virtual, the uh, drive-in, what was the most challenging thing about it? All of it. <laughs> Be uh, honest.
2: <laughs> for, you know, I'll say for me, the the multiple, like the number of meetings in a day, like. Because I feel like looking at the computer for hours at a time, we're going to find out years from, this is not healthy. I know it's not healthy now. So that's been tough for me, but also still being able to create. The audio has been pretty easy because a lot of our artists have home studios. Oh, that's right. It, but the video content, how to do that and, and create it safely. So, you know, with the limited crew and mask and, you know, medic checks at the door, I mean, that's been really our biggest challenge of how to still create music videos, but we've been making it happen. So, uh, but that's probably been the biggest task, that and the 20 meetings I have in a day. So,
1: (laughs) I feel like music is a thing that brings us all together, especially right now. It helps you with your mood. Do you feel like the lyrics and music are shifting now to a different paradigm where it's a little more positive lyrics or you know not as much of the norm of lyrics a little more positivity
2: monique you just heard wap you tell me <laughs> 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 so no and, and, here's the, and i love wap shout out to party <laughs> and uh and, and meg the stallion i just but again i think it's always going to be a place for all forms of music just being straight up so again you're going to have people that kind of have a different perspective it's still art It doesn't make it bad. It's just, it may not be for you. So uh, I'm sitting here with a legend with cool. I grew up listening to cool. That's, that's, that's great that's timeless music but there were also some people that we don't have to name names that were out during the same time that had not had the longevity or had you know because again the quality wasn't there like they may have had the quantity like just throughout songs but i'm sitting with a brother who has been like an architect and greatness for for, for decades and still here and still releasing great music so nothing has changed i mean to this day you fast forward there's going to be people that are still upholding the integrity of music and And releasing art because that's what music is to me and there's some people who just you know in it just to get a quick check a quick hit and um no disrespect but i I, i'm always with the people that are creating greatness and putting positive and just great greatness in the universe and because when i think about i mean cool your catalog has been sampled by so many people over the years time and time again so i just think about like that's to me another testament of just the greatness that you and your your, your band your, y'all created, man. Like those songs have been like sampled and resampled. I'm just like, and again, I ain't go from when I first heard. Uh, uh I'm I'm an '80s baby, so when I came up, I heard uh, Little Kim's Ladies Night, and I had I was like, man, this is so fresh. I'm like, now I said, oh, this ain't no damn Little Kim. My mom's like, that's cool in the gang, and I said, okay, you know. What I mean? But again, but that's a testament of just how great music never goes away. So. We've seen artists that come up with one hit here and there, high and by, but no, you know, but again, it's always room for positive and just great music. So,
1: And Cole, speaking of which, with lyrics and music now, what are your thoughts about today's lyrics? Because I feel like back in the day it was about love and romance and just, you know, just making you feel good. Now it's, you know, different type of music. What do you feel about today's artists in the content
3: and uh, their lyrics. Well, um, I hope uh, some of the artists will um, get back to that, or not back, or get into that in terms of uh, writing more more positive music, especially with what's going on, you know, today. Mm-hmm. Like like I said about you know uh, uh, being home, and home is where the heart is, and, uh, and dealing with uh, the family, and dealing with. Just um, the, the struggle that uh, you know, more positive music will come out of that. And um, you know, I mean, it was not just us. I mean, uh, Earth, Wind, Fire. You know, uh, Stevie Wonder. You know, uh, back in the day when um, I guess when we used to write that way. <laughs> so hopefully it'll come back around. Uh, no mm-hmm. disrespect to to the Bruno Mars and some of these other, other acts you know, who's been influenced by groups like us, Cool the Gang, Ohio Plays, that uh, it, uh, the music will become a little better and the lyrics will be stronger as we go into 2021.
1: Oh my goodness. Time is going so fast.
3: It's very, you're <laughs> right. 2020 is just about out of here.
1: Yeah, thank God. Let's let, Keep it moving 2020. We ready for 2021. We need something new. Now, speaking of something new, I see we have been joined by Mr. IDK. Welcome to Music Hi. to Verified Hit. How you doing?
4: I'm good. Uh, apologies for my tardiness. I'm glad to be here.
1: Glad to have you. Now, let me just give the folks background. IDK is a Maryland-raised rapper and producer who was the first artist to premiere an album with Forbes in 2016. Last year he signed a joint venture deal with Warner Records to release to his release Is He Real on his own label Clue. His name means ignorantly delivering knowledge. And I'm sure you're about to educate all of us as well. So well.
4: How are you guys doing?
1: We're doing good. We're doing good. We were actually um talking a lot about Black Lives Matter and how that music is how music is move, helping with the movement. What are your thoughts on you know Black Lives Matter and how music is helping with that movement?
4: Um, for me, um, I, first of all, love the movement. I think it's very necessary. I think we're in a place right now um, where music is indirectly helping with uh, the movement because a lot of the music that some of the people who are trying to now help out with, in terms of Black Lives Matter that aren't actually African-American, they listen to a lot of our music, you know, they consume it. So indirectly, them being a part of the things that we do, they kind of feel a certain level of responsibility when now a lot of the problems that we go through are so in your face, you know what I mean? Um, I think that that's indirectly, because um, I saw, you know, I, I know you guys were talking about lyrics or something um, just now. And I think, unfortunately, you know, the they say, I don't remember what book it was that I was reading, but they say the best ways to gain a following are through the following things, either violence, to rebel, or sex. That's what people are attracted to, right? So now, when you start, when people start um listening to music that have those things it's almost like kind of speaks to what my what what I um do with my music it's like i know that those are the things that people like to listen to but i also know that if i say something that may, that matters within some of the things that they like to listen to they're a lot more likely to comprehend and and actually understand what's right the moment you come off like you're preaching and you're, you're better than everybody and this is right and that's wrong, I, I never do that. I tell people my experiences. I never say, don't do this, do that. It's, it's a turn off for a lot of people. So I think that the music that's being made creates the influence, right? But it's what the people that are making the music do outside of the music. That's what matters.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: more More than the music, you know what I mean? And, and a lot of the people that I'm seeing are actually using it in a positive way. Like um, they're spreading awareness, they're letting people know what's going on, whether it's posting certain videos of things that are happening to us with the following that they've built off of the music that some people could say is blasphemy, you know? Um, I love the way things are going. Um, no, in no way, shape or form do I think that we're where we need to be, that's for sure. And I don't think I don't think we'll fully be where we need to be in this lifetime, but I think we have an opportunity to make a crazy, uh, 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 an astonishing level of progress, something that we probably haven't ever really able, ever been able to do because of social media and because of the platforms that a lot of our leaders have. That's kind of why I'm not like super like into the whole canceling everybody when they do something wrong or make a mistake culture, because it's like we already don't have enough leaders if somebody makes a mistake and they're our leader it's like you got to treat it like family you take them to the side like like little, little bro you messed up bro why did you do that you shouldn't do that you should do it like this and then hopefully they learn but a lot of people will just be like nah he's canceled i'm not messing with him no more don't mess with him and it's like bro you don't see white supremacists canceling each other they're on the same agenda like we 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 don't have the room to be doing that you know so That's, that's just, I'm sorry. I'm getting into a bunch of stuff, that's, that's, that's my thoughts. I got some strong thoughts about all of that.
1: We like, we like strong thoughts. You know, as you were talking, um, listening to black lives matter movement, you know, cool. Looking at the sixties and the seventies and where we were as black people then, and you know, the civil rights movement then, and then looking at where we are now, what are your thoughts between the different generations with the civil rights movement then and Black Lives Matter now? What do you feel is the difference between the two, in your opinion?
4: Uh, so I wasn't there, so I can't fully say I only see what's documented. And sometimes, you know, what's documented may not be the full story. But well, based off of what's have, documented.
1: We actually have Cole from Cool and the Gang, who was there. And oh, wow. he did it. yeah, Cool, can you, what, what, what's yeah. your thought on that? He's actually here on the call, on the podcast. What's
3: your thought on that? Yeah, well, um, Black Lives Matter today uh, is more um, people coming together. I know we're talking about Black Lives Matter, but you're also talking about Lives Matter. And everybody's kind of looking at that and respecting that. You know, when you see uh, 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 white people or Asians or, When you look and see all these people that's out there saying that Black Lives Matter, you didn't see that back during the 60s and the 70s. Mm -hmm. You know, you saw what we saw during that time. But today, like everybody's coming together. Mm -hmm. You got people in London talking about Black Lives Matter, people in Israel, Black Lives Matter, the Chinese, Black Lives Matter, Lives Matter. It's to me, like this brother, I think it's, it's the young movement that's. You know, to say, "Hey, we ain't going for that old time religion which y'all had." You know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the young folks, the millennials, is making another move, making a serious move. Now, of course, you have social media, but they—they're coming out, and I, and I think they're very serious about what's going on. Not to say that we weren't serious, but they're making the difference. That's what matters. Yeah, yeah. What's going on right. with these young people there? Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you, you to say something, IDK?
4: Yeah, no, I agree. I think like seeing other groups of people pushing the Black Lives Matter movement to the extent that they're doing it is a big difference. Um again, that's why i was saying I don't know what was documented everything. That's why I'm like what I saw, when I saw what was documented, I saw a majority of black people. You'd see sprinkles of white people there here and there, but it was a majority Black people um, pushing the movement, and everybody else was kind of like, ah, that's not my problem. I'm not black, so I don't got to deal with that for the most part. Now, people are starting to get to a place where they understand the importance of not being, um, not just being um, anti racist, but being pro black. You know, it, we have an unfair disadvantage because of how we were brought to this country. A lot of the time. And it's a lot more unfair than even some of the immigrants that come from other countries or by their choice. So people are starting to understand and see that and pay attention to that. And they're taking a stance. A lot of people are pressured to do it because of social media, because they follow us, artists, and they consume this. And that's the pressure we're putting on them. So, you know, some people genuinely feel this, some people are pressured to do this, but that's fine. All of that is awareness and and that's cool. I'm cool with that. Like, I would prefer people to genuinely feel that way, but at least, at least we got something. Now, that's why I said, I don't know if it's gonna happen in our generation, but we're making a level of progress that we have never made before. And I think we gotta focus on that and continue to drill that in and continue to push this movement.
1: I love that. And, you know, Phil, from your lens, from where you sit, how do you see with your label, um, what do you think they're gonna be doing differently, more of with the, in line with this movement now?
2: You just gotta continue to be loud. I mean, I, mean, I have some, some of my colleagues that you know talk to me about all lives matter. And I remind them that by saying Black Lives Matter, we're not discounting any other group or set of people. But what I'm saying, if I'm on a street, if I'm on a street of a bunch of houses and this one house is on fire, we don't need to be worried about the other houses in that moment, this right. shit on fire right here. We gotta look at the houses on fire. Let's address this one. And that's what we're saying, like Black Lives, we're the ones that are getting publicly lynched on video for you to see. Again, this it's been happening for decades. It's just yeah. now being documented. And so, but yeah, we got a responsibility uh, just, and I, I tell people, yeah, I work for Sony Music, I'm grateful for, but before all that, I'm a Black man. And when they see me, I get pulled over, I'm a Black man in the car. I'm a black man. Before all of this, so yeah, to me, it's like we got to continue to just push for equality, man. And it's to to IDK's point. Hopefully, we see it in our lifetime. But even if our our grandkids benefit from the work and the foundation we're laying now, it's all worth it. But we got to, you know, that's 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 what it's got to be at this point.
4: So I love that.
2: I'm doing the work.
4: No, I love that. I love what you said. And you know, whenever people bring up all lives matter and things like that. A lot of the, something that comes, goes hand in hand with that with a lot of people. is They try to say, um, you know, everybody's not racist. All, all white people aren't racist. And, and what I usually say to that is, a white person being racist could cost me my life. Me assuming a white person being racist, not necessarily gonna cost them their life. It's me avoiding a situation that could happen. It's literally, when I go on tour, it's no joke. If we're down south somewhere, and I feel like I gotta go use the bathroom, I mm-hmm. feel so uncomfortable walking in. A, it could be no. It could be a situation where nobody's actually racist, but I have to brace myself for what could possibly happen because I don't know what I'm walking into. It's not the same way the other way around. And mm-hmm. that right there says that we have something that 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 needs to be we, that we need to, that people need to pay attention to a little bit more than maybe what white people and other people have to go through so it's like that's the thing that i'm trying to like get across to other people you know what i mean we're not allowed to give the, we're not us giving the, you the benefit of the doubt could cost us our lives you know what i
1: mean yeah and, and you know i dk. not of the, not to cut you off but one of the things that i feel you've kind of taken control of your own narrative as mm-hmm. it relates to things. Because at the end of the day, you own your master recordings. You're not a quote unquote slave. And is there a message in the music? And if there is, are you giving one? Because I love that you own your own recordings. This is your stuff. And that's right. taking control of the narrative.
4: So so the most important thing that to know and, and people should know is that um, for me, everything, that has to do with the progression of Black people, for me, is um, my stance is educating our people, period. I'm, I might go out and protest and check it out and see what's going on and stuff. I think people need to protest because that spreads awareness. But everything I do is through education. Because I think if I was to put percentage on everything, I'd say 20% of it is spreading awareness through probably protesting and things like that. I think. 10 percent of it is time and waiting. I think 80 percent of it is educating our people on what to do, what not to do. So I, I'll give you an example. Um, I just bought land in Joshua Tree, right, for the same price, for less than most people would have bought a chain. Wow. Like I'm talking about I own a piece of America. <laughs> <laughs> Acres. Congratulations! Of
1: That's amazing.
4: Yeah. Acres of land, you know who taught me that? A Jewish person. Not a white person, I learned this from a Jewish person, but guess what? I learned so much from from some c- certain people uh, uh, white, uh, uh not a black person sorry, a uh, Jewish person. I learned so much from them, and a lot of people learn things from them because you know they have a history of finance that's what they come from they they pass this down generation to generation. Our problem is we haven't been doing that why don't why, how come I bought this land and I told everybody that, uh, around me about this land and nobody knew they could do that? this It seemed like that was impossible to do, you know, to a lot of Black people. The problem is we're not educating each other. We're not taking the time to really do that. And I think that's one of the most important things right now that we can do is when we gain knowledge that's valuable, we actually take that and then give it to the next Black person. And we continue to do that. We, you know, someone just said, are we too competitive? Ah, uh, hell yeah. We are uh, definitely, I'm not competing with nobody. I'm competing with myself. I want to be a better version of me every day. I, I'm, I've reached a certain level of success. You know, when you start competing with everybody, trying to see what they got and all that, you start to lose the big picture one, and then you start to actually hurt yourself. So I've gotten out of that. I don't even think about that. I literally compete with myself. And everybody who is especially black, especially people that are, that are part of my team, family, whoever people I care about, I try to give them the knowledge. Because here's the thing, if I can help you get to somewhere, right, if anything happens to me, hopefully the idea is you could do the same for me and we can continue to build each other up. Here's a good, here's a way to break that down. This is a, it's a, it's basically a, an analogy or metaphor, but it's direct. If I buy this land in Joshua Tree, and then I say, um, I want you to buy this land in Joshua Tree too, it's cheap, go get it. If you buy land right next to mine, and you decide to build a house there, the value of my land goes up. If I build my house, your value of your land goes up. If we get more and more people to keep doing this, eventually all of our land is going to be worth millions of dollars. That's the exact same concept in the sense of uh, us helping each other out as opposed to, If I go over there, I'm like, oh, I got land in Joshua Tree. I'm not telling nobody. All right, we're going to sit there and land ain't going to be here. (laughs) You know what I'm
1: saying? And you know what? Speaking of, you know, helping people out, one of the things is through, you know, giving back. And I know Cool Bell, as a living legend, um, how is Cool and the Gang and your foundation responding to this time? Because I know you have a wonderful foundation, too, and you're giving back. So how does that, how are you doing that during this time, Cool.
3: Well, we're we're working uh, towards that. I mean, um, uh, we have the Cool Kids Foundation uh, that we're going to doing some things uh, uh, next month, um, and uh, we have been involved with various fundraisers over the years, uh, and we believe it's very important uh, to get back. You know, and you know it's uh, uh, teaching. I guess uh, back in the day. Uh, you know, with the I have to say, the Nation of Islam, because they, we they talk about working together and building restaurants and building uh, schools and teaching it to children. It's very important, you know, because you know you have you have uh, knowledge and you have wisdom, but the one who understands the knowledge and the wisdom that they have and to be able to apply that. Life because you can be knowledgeable and living up in the mountain somewhere. But what you're doing with the knowledge that you have? What are you applying to the world? Help the things move in the world. So to me, you know, um, understanding is very important. So we have to uh, work towards that. You know, and uh, that's kind of like how I see it. You know? Too much is given, much is expected. Up. I
1: love that. And and Phil, from what I remember, you're an HBCU graduate, correct? Absolutely, Norfolk State. Yes, I went. I was down the street from you at Hampton. How you doing? Oh,
2: how unfortunate. DMV, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, think, hey, DMV. What up? You know. What yes, I mean? sir. <laughs> yes,
0: sir.
2: Yes,
1: sir. Hey, you, my, know, I'm, my you went to Hampton.
2: My sister's a Hampton graduate, so that was, you know, I would go over there and see my frat brothers on that side of the the ward every now and then, just to give them a little bit of class. But you know, I, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's too. bad. now, how do you feel the role of HBCUs play? in music black lives matter and just now i i think you know obviously we have we have one side of views on it but what's your take on it with hbcus and how it gives back to the community
2: hbcus i mean when i think about i mean I, I always from growing up you know one of the first movies i remember just uh that i loved was school days spike lee did it back in the 80s and i was like man this from that day, that in a different world, I was like, "All right, I'm going to HBCU," and, I, and it was like, "I'm gonna go just because I felt like that was the the community." Nothing against you know other universities. I have siblings that went to some of those and friends, obviously, but for me, it was that valuable experience because I, you know, I love my HBCU experience. I love just it felt the culture, the community, like it just the music that was a heartbeat. I remember being in college and uh, a young Pharrell Williams would come to you know on the yard and hang out with me and we would just kick it and just in front of the student union, like that was the energy, but it just, it was the heartbeat and the pulse of what was happening in our world. You know what I mean? Like we, you know, back then we had computers and stuff, but it was just like, just the energy. You knew what the hot song was. If you went to the, the sweat box and just the, the dance or, or the step show or whatever, you know what I mean? It's just the, the whole culture, man. Nothing like the HBCU life. I, I encourage anybody just, if you didn't go, just go visit the campus, just hang out for a week. It's just such an experience. Uh, especially when to Norfolk State, you know, we party. I don't know about Hampton, but, you know. Oh, we, we
1: got it in, don't trip, we got you
2: know, it yeah. in <laughs> We, we party over <laughs> in that shoe though, you know, we got it in oh, on that side of the water. But uh, no, it's it's, a, it's an experience that I'll never forget. And it taught me a lot. I met a lot of great people and it just, it actually showed me how to network with our community. Even like, I was that person who always wanted to collaborate. I'm never the person who's like, oh, I got a seat at the table, that's all it needs. Now nah, I got a seat, but I need to go find, create more seats, more opportunities, and so that's why I even applaud you, IDK, man, just really changing the narrative, man. Like, as, as an artist and a creative, like, you really, man, just ownership out the gate of your original recordings, because I don't like to say the word master. That, that one, I been Sony has now changed that, so we don't say master recordings. We say okay. original recordings, because that gives me a whole nother, you know, feeling. But, you know, my thing is, but it's, it's something that's so necessary, because when you think about the amount of money that labels are making and generating off of your art, your creativity, it's, it's the least that, you know, why, why wouldn't that happen? And so we're, we're going to see more of those deals is my prayer and my belief. And that's why one of the reasons I want to be in the building to champion more of those type of conversations and those structures because it's a new day. You know, yeah, you got 40,000 songs hitting DSPs a day. You know, if you got your right team and, and knowledge and reading and, and knowing how to, again, like, I'm not discounting the value of major labels, but you can do it without one. And it's been documented. Mm-hmm. So it's about yeah. finding a partnership that makes sense for you. But I just want to celebrate IDK because I'm like, man, just ownership. I know it didn't happen overnight and just, you know, you put out a number of mixtapes, but that should be celebrated. But, um, yeah, back to the HBCU life. Uh, Monique? <laughs> it it wasn't nothing like it. It was nothing like it. And I just tell everybody. That's why, but I'm trying to pay it forward now, even in my role in my seat at Sony. Some of the resources that we have pouring it back to get internships from the HBCUs. How are we hiring new people? I'm looking at the HBCUs as well. Absolutely. All, all the, oftentimes, like, they're looked over. Like, you know what I mean? It's a lot of nepotism that happens within labels like, oh, this, this is the president's knee. So the president's, you know, such and such. And so they get the job just offered by fact of nepotism. But we need to create that, that pipeline of talent that p- people that look like us. Absolutely. And so that's something where I just, we got it. So, okay, yeah, I'm an HBCU graduate. But now I'm like, I had to really take a, a, a moment like a few years ago, like, Yo, what am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing? How am I giving back? How am I paying it forward? Because that's really what it's about. So that, those are things that I'm actually, I have put in motion uh, here locally in Tennessee, Tennessee State, Fisk University. Uh, I'm looking to get back to Norfolk State and trying to create that pipeline and Hampton uh, and, and Howard and Morgan, some of the other, you know, just HBCUs that I just you know, have a, a direct into, but we gotta do that. Cause that's where there's so much talent, so much executive talent and just artists like that are there to just need an opportunity.
1: That's all they need. Absolutely, absolutely. And IDK, in terms of the business side and doing that joint venture, walk us through that in terms of the business side of it and what you learned from it and what you would tell someone coming up from what you learned.
4: Okay, so boom. The reason why I was able, the big reason why I was able to get that, this specific deal that I got was one, I built the demand through me putting out music independently Two, uh, when I got, when I did my, uh, uh, when I started making music, I was doing independent distributor deals where they give you an advance for one project. You still own it, you still keep it. But when you recoup everything is good, it, but it's one off deals. And um, I got to the point where I had, a, I built a rapport with foundation media, um, to the point where, man, I, I'll get into numbers. Um I I was able to get maybe a hundred and fifty thousand dollars for one for one project independently, kept the masters everything. Because I'd kept recouping so many times with them that they knew that it would be I'd be good for it. So when I did that, I didn't buy a chain. I paid for studio equipment.
1: Oh so my god, my, i are hey, so smart.
4: And I bought a studio and I made the album that was my debut major label album off of that. So shout out to Top from TDE. Top is the one who told me, don't go to the label until your album is done. Go to it with a finished album. So I finished my album and then I started shopping around and people thought the album was so good. I wouldn't take a meeting unless I played the album from beginning to end because I wanted you to see me as... Uh, artist, not just a quick single or anything like that. Wow. I made everybody who listened every CEO, every chairman, they listened to the album from top to bottom and it got to the point where every time I would go to play the album, I'd basically get a deal or offer the next day or that night, that same day. Um and then it came it came it became a thing where there was a bid and war and I wouldn't sign to a label unless I had my own imprint. Um Honestly, the master thing, the licensing deal thing, didn't happen till the last stretch. It was actually Sylvia Rome from um, from Sony, from uh, Epic. She offered me a a really, really good deal (laughs) with a lot of money and gave me the exclusive license. And that changed the bidding war because everybody else was trying to just keep the masters and everything. And that's when I was like, oh, I could do that too. It was just being poised you know I was being poised I I didn't rush into anything it took like it was like a entire three-month process of just dealing with the deals and back and forth and all the holidays and not being able to respond things like that but I was poised and then Warner came they they said they they didn't think they could counter the offer because it was it was just crazy like she came really really well and I was thinking about (laughs) I was going to epic but then they came back. I remember I was at South by Southwest and my lawyers called me and they're like, yo, are you sitting down? I'm like, yeah, what's up? And they told me what the deal was. And I was like, you know what? I'm not even gonna be greedy. I'm good. That's the deal that I want. I like the team. We've met a couple of times. That's what I'm gonna do. We don't even have to keep going back and forth. You know what I mean? And that literally was how I got to the deal. But the most important thing was I invested back all the money that I made. I basically invested back into my craft and I created a situation where now I have my own studio. So, you know, when it's time to record, I I I pay the the label pays me to record at my house.
1: Oh my because, god! That's because
4: great. no, because I don't, you know, I I don't have to go to the studio. I have good equipment. Like I have like the top of the line stuff. Actually, speaking of investment, there was a mic that I paid seven thousand dollars for it when I first got it. That same mic they stopped making it is now twenty five thousand dollars. Oh my god. Seriously. Wow. So you know I'm glad that I did that. <laughs> <laughs> now you know.
1: speaking of the business side too, what cool for you, you know, you've done the music and you consistently keep your business muscle going. So tell us how you transfer from the mu- the music business and now you're going to the champagne distribution yes. business. Tell us about that. Oh well
4: Is- oh, no, not champagne. I'm going into um uh, more so as an idea that you know in real oh, estate. So IDK, so- that
1: was for uh cool from Cool again. Oh, sorry, he's okay, for- all right. IDK, he's doing champagne now, okay? I see so it there, right you there. you get I uh, you know, you two years down the line you might be doing champagne next. So uh, oh, cool, so tell wow, us thought- <laughs> Tell us cool, how tell us how you Keep moving with the time, and now you are doing champagne.
3: How does that business? Well, um, uh, the champagne business is quite different from the record business. Uh, I understand the record business. Grew up in the record business and uh, had my ups and downs, you know, in that. And uh, I'm, I'm learning that in the champagne business. Uh, it's every state has a uh, distribution. And there are certain compliances you have to get an okay, in each state. It's not like when you put a record out and you just put it out across the board; it's going to be played on all the radio stations. You have to deal with each state, and each state has, you know, their compliances. So I'm I'm living and learning. as something new, how to do that. Right now we're just in the uh, we uh, well, Florida, which we revamp in Florida. We're in Jersey. We're in um, California, and uh, we're in New York. You're that's huge. Looking at Georgia and uh, New Orleans. So, you, you know, you live and learn. You learn to live how, how to do that. Uh, like in the record business, you know, record business is the record business. You know, uh, <laughs> that that that's. That, uh, uh, saying that the record company, I mean, because the record company gives you the start. And you have to learn what it's all about. You know, they don't call it like, uh, uh, the brother was saying, masters anymore. But uh, you have to learn uh, how how to deal with that, understand uh, the publishing side, understanding the the writing side. Because I think publishing really started from publishing, the control of your writers and, yep. and, and your music is very, is very important, you know. And right now, because you know, my brother, um, uh, in terms of the masters, uh, we we're we recording everything that we did in the '70s, and the '80s, and we're changing it up uh, to the days now because we control them. We control our masters now. Of mm-hmm. course, they have the old masters. They're going to continue. to We will be competing with ourselves and competing with them. Right. All yeah, the price.
1: And, Cole, let me ask you this, because what I love is we have two different generations here. You are a legend. We have IDK. He's going to be an up-and-coming legend. If you could give IDK a pearl of wisdom from all your decades of experience, what would that be?
3: Well, I'll have to say that IDK is moving in the right direction. Uh (laughs) (laughs) He got got a good handle. (laughs) (laughs) He's standing out there. Yeah. You know, something that we didn't get, you know. Okay. I mean, yeah. I take my head out there. I, I would, well, brother, you're going in the right direction. I like how, Thank you, you. Like how you're thinking, like how, how you move. But now we have that uh, platform mm-hmm. to do that with social media. We didn't have that before. But today we have that. And like um, uh, the other brother here was saying uh, about you know being able to put things out without having you can go direct to the consumer. Without having to go to the record company, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So from a
1: from a label from a label perspective, what's a pearl of wisdom you can drop for us today?
3: That question is to for me,
1: to, uh, Phil. Yeah. Okay. How, oh, for you, what's
3: oh, I just want to say one thing for you. Oh, oh I'm
1: sorry.
3: Uh-huh. I, I got, we got kind of like tired of, uh, of the record company doing uh, uh, one for cool, five for us, ten for us. Five cool. But you know, when you hit, you talk about platinum and 80 minute platinum records, you know, we didn't really get all of that. I'm just trying to be honest. That's yeah, cool. We didn't get what, was, what that we deserve. Yeah, we built a lot of floors in these buildings. You know what I mean? And, and they and take they your catalog to take a, don't um, disrespect, a young artist that's coming up and they take your catalog and push that artist. Because the money they're making from your catalog, so catalog publishing masters are very important. Yeah, uh, and I think something else that was said is just like everybody's like, uh, record companies are want to know what's the last McDonald or Burger King. If you ain't doing that, you can't even get a deal. A uh, group like us, we can't even get a deal these days. So it's good to have social media. We can go a different route, yeah that's what they look at. But they forget who helped build a house. Yeah. So I Love
1: that.
2: Thank <laughs> you. Hey, I had a question for Cool, Monique. I just, I'm just curious to know, Cool, you know, like Cool and Gang has been sampled so many times. Are you, do you find, are you flattered when people sample your catalog, or you got an issue with that? I'm just curious. Like, how do, how do you feel? like when people are reimagining some of those classics. I
1: love. That's a good
3: question. No, we don't have an issue with it. Uh, this particular time, it was the time that we did because we weren't getting uh, paid for what was being done. When well, they passed the law in terms of no record company can put anything out without getting the sample rights, and okay to do these things, before you have to put somebody on sample patrol because you don't know what's going on out there. Nice. But, right. Uh, right. Yeah, but I mean, but today, yeah, that's your question, I mean, when you have, uh, a, a summer Summer Madness, uh, Will Smith did that over and did Summertime, you know, yeah. with Will Smith. But hey, that's great because he got a platinum number one record. We didn't right. get no more records on uh, on that song, but uh, other records we did. You know, Diddy uh, right. doing uh, Hollywood swinging with Mace and uh, Tribe Called Quest, and it goes on and on and on. But it kind of like opened up the door to their market, you know, the who, who. So yeah, thank
4: right. you for that.
3: I'm thankful for that.
4: Oh, um, let me let me say this too. I sampled one of these songs. I cleared it though, and it was on the album. <laughs> <laughs> It was on the album that uh, that I did with Warner. I did that, like, so So that's just, just so you know. And I'm, I'm very grateful for being able to do that.
1: Okay. I love thank that. You. I know we're coming to a close, and I tell you, where else are you gonna find Robert Colbell, IDK, and Phil Thornton all on this <laughs> same podcast, right from <laughs> Music Day. This is definitely a verified hit. And mm. I just wanna thank you gentlemen, I've learned so much from the three of you guys today, and it was an honor to talk to you guys. And thank you so much for dropping all these gems and yeah. uh, joining us here at Music Day.
3: Well, I uh, heard some like Hey, 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 what you got to say? Listen <laughs> to, <laughs> <got> to <laughs> <laughs> music.
1: On <that> <laughs> <laughs> all right, gentlemen, well, thank you.
0: Music Day. A Verified Hit is presented by the Living Legends Foundation, Inc. Real talk with experience. Please follow and share Music Day on Instagram at Living Legends Foundation and at Music Day Podcast on Twitter at VLLF, Inc. Join us on Facebook, the Living Legends Foundation. Executive producers are Jacqueline Reinhardt, Mark Hill, Ken Johnson, and Pat Shields. Our associate producers are Shannon Henderson, Sheila Eldridge, Tony Winger, Vivian Scott-Chu, and Varnell Johnson. Production by Mark Hill Creative. Talent booking, black.llc. Theme music by Wendell Wellman for Star Maker Global. Interstitial music by William Reinhardt. And I'm your announcer, Jay Johnson.